Hello and welcome to Fencast, the podcast that tells you all about the strange goings on in the Fenlands. My name is Kit Chapman and as ever I am joined by the boy wonder, Adam Roberts. <laughs> Good evening. And the boy who wonders, Alex Parnell. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, last week we had a great guest on with yes. Chip. Uh, Chip Calhoun and I would thoroughly recommend uh, checking out his books. Uh, you can actually go on to f- um, if you go onto the Facebook account, you can actually find a special offer for uh, listeners of the podcast. Uh, so you can get twenty five percent off signed copies of his books if you want to find out a little bit more. Just thought I'd give him another cheeky plug before mm-hmm. we start. No, I wasn't there last week, unfortunately, but I listened to it. I really, really enjoyed the show. Chip's a, a really knowledgeable guy, and I do want to bring up something with you though. Oh dear. And this was uh, the part, you know, where they, they couldn't help you anymore. This wasn't, wasn't with, Barry St. Edmund. With where... <laughs> where do you think Edmund might come from? You know, you know that when you're in that chair, yeah. it's different. You panic. It's, yeah. And uh, I was sat at home. Well, I, sat, well, I wasn't sat. I was laid in bed listening to weird. it. Yeah. Everyone in my house was asleep. And I was like, Adam, it's Barry St. Edmunds. Kit even said, <laughs> he even Bar- says, yeah, yeah. you're going to bury yourself with <laughs> this one. Oh, but, yeah. I couldn't have given more hints if I tried. No. no. I'm, I'm very sorry, listeners. I do apologise for, for being those a, you don't a know, moron. For those who don't know, I think you did mention it briefly. Adam used to work in Burris and Edmonds. For how, how long did you work in Burris and Edmonds? Not for long, no, about, about, about six to eight months. Is that because so. you were late? Because you always. Because yeah, I've always ended up in Norwich, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned last week's podcast is because our first story was actually mentioned toward the end of that podcast. We are going to start off being a gog about Gog Magog. Story number one, a gog about Gog Magog. So, who is Gog Magog? Do we do we know anything about this name, this strange... It's got a very H.P. Lovecraft feel to that, Gog Magog. It I, does. I've got something very slimy in my head. There is a sort of you? Cthulhu kind of mythos about it. Oh, okay. It reminds me of... Um, like being <laughs> being quite like a lazy lazy name, you know, like how Gary Neville, the footballer, his dad's called Neville Neville. Yeah, <laughs> it, it reminds me of that. Like, what are we going to call him? Well, his last name's Magog, so just go Gog. Gog, Gog, Magog. Well, interestingly, occasionally in the legends, Gog and Magog are actually two separate things. And this actually starts off in the Bible. This is biblical. Um, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, has Gog and Magog. Uh, Gog is a man. Magog is the land. And uh, and later on, um, it's it's actually quite confusing because Magog suddenly becomes a person. Um, and in the book of Revelation, uh, Gog and Magog are part of the end of the world. Oh, dear. Yes, they are not good things. Um, but in British mythology, Gog Magog has a very different meaning indeed. Do we have any idea at all what that might be? Uh, oh, see, now working off the biblical roots. The, the, and, uh, the sound you make when you step on a Lego piece? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've got to keep it quiet because kids are asleep. Yeah, yeah. In front of the kids, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. I say yeah. a different word when I stood up on a Lego piece. Um, I'll give you, I'll, I'll just tell you, in fact. Uh, Gog, <laughs> Gog Magog is a giant. I was going to say um, that. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because the Gog Magog Hills um, That's are, where I know the name are from. just, just off, outside of Cambridge. I mean, I say hills, they're not very big. They're mm. um, in the fence. Yeah, they're in the yeah. Anything that is a small rise in the fens counts as hills, <laughs> but uh, but the Gog Magog are um, are right on the edge of the fens, and they are this uh, this lovely um, grassland. In fact, they're mentioned in the 16th century uh, from Cambridge University's records, yeah. telling students to keep off the Gog Magog. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the first mention of them. Something um, no change, which is kind of interesting because um, usually the myth uh, that they're associated with is nowhere near Cambridge, uh, and somehow it's got transported to the Fenlands. 
Um, so, they, so this is our tenuous link for the week. <laughs> this, is, this is our tenuous link yeah. for the week. So Gog Magog appears in The History of the Kings of Britain by a guy called Geoffrey yeah. of Monmouth. And he wrote this in the 12th century. Do we know anything about this book? Have we mentioned Geoffrey of Monmouth before? We have, yeah. in passing. Mm. I remember the name. Geoffrey of Monmouth uh, was a guy who... He, he wrote a history, and it was very well respected for about four centuries, until it turned out that he made literally everything up. Yes, that is it. Big fat um, liar. He was, he, was a, um, he was a storyteller. He was a raconteur. And, um, and certainly he comes up with the myth of King Arthur, for example. That's featured in the, in the history of the Kings of Britain. And certainly he popularises the myth of King Arthur, the story of King Arthur. Um, so Geoffrey of Monmouth is a really interesting character. But uh, Gog Magog appears very, very early on in the history of the Kings of Britain. And I'm going to give you three options as to what it might be. So, does Gog Magog appear uh, because Merlin turns him into a red dragon and a white dragon? Does Gog Magog appear because the Trojans turn up in Britain and slay him? Or does Gog Magog appear because he's a giant who suddenly converts to Christianity, repents after eating the flesh of men and founds Cambridge at the time known as Granta? Do you know what? Why does white dragon and red dragon ring a bell? That just... And to be fair, it could be because I've watched the Disney version of King Arthur whereby they turn into squirrels and dragons and all kinds of things. So I don't know if I'm getting mixed up with that. But I was given very solid... That, the one thing I did get from the last episode was Chip said to me, he said, go with your gut, Adam. Your gut he did, he did. Right. It, it, it did turn into a bit of an <laughs> intervention for you, didn't it? Because obviously Adam, I, I wasn't so here, and yeah. I'm, 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 I haven't been counting, but I'm leaving it, I'm leading 11-2. It, it's turning. Last few episodes, it's been turning. Um, but yeah. But um, yeah, go with your gut, mate. Go with your gut. I'm going with the gut. I'm going to go with the white dragon and the red dragon. I'm going to go with the, uh, the last one. You're going to go with, uh, he converts to Christianity after eating people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, certainly he's mentioned in, uh, in some of the stories around Alexander the Great. This is how far Gog Magog goes back is mentioned as a, uh, a human flesh eaters. So that's where I was inventing that from. Oh. <laughs> it, it is not um, found in Cambridge. But. Yes. Uh, so the idea of Trojans turning up in Britain, that does actually appear in the, in the history, history of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth. So they turn um, up in a horse. No. <laughs> he has stolen that. <laughs> well, interestingly, there is actually a, um, there is a rogue historian who, who no one believes, frankly, okay. um, who claims that Cambridge is actually Troy. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Have a look online; you'll be okay. able to find the books. Um, I'm not going to give that any credence whatsoever. But he believes um, anyway. Okay. The, um, according to the story, uh, the Trojans uh, turn up under the command of Brutus. Uh, not, okay. not the Brutus that slays uh, Julius Caesar. Um, so the Brutii were actually a, a patrician family yes. of Rome. Yeah. Um, but yes, so Brutus and the Trojans turn up on on the shores of, of Britain in in. The history of the kings of Britain, um, Merlin turning things into red dragons and white dragons. Mm. Uh, again, this appears in the history of the kings of Britain. However, it is a dream oh. that Merlin has. Oh, I hate the dream scenes. Merlin, was, Merlin has a long and really yeah. elaborate dream that goes on for about thirty pages. Well, um, to be fair, druids, you know, and it's and it's the red dragon is weak, and then the white dragon eats the red dragon, and then, then the red dragon pops out of its belly, and it it goes on. It's really convoluted. M Merlin invented alien, the the pig of Oxford, and things like that. It's a very strange <laughs> part of the uh, of the book. As I say, Geoffrey of Monmouth probably on mushrooms when he wrote his books. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, the Trojans turn up, and Gog Magog is a giant there. And accompanied by 20 fellow giants, he attacks the Trojan settlement. 
um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this from, uh, from, from the account that I found, um, and caused great slaughter. The Trojans rallied back, killed all the giants, except for one detestable monster named Gog Magog, in stature 12 cubits, um, and of such prodigious strength that one shake, he pulled up an oak as if it had been a hazel wand. Wow. Um, he's then captured, and Brutus's second-in-command, Coranius, uh, asks to wrestle the giant. <laughs> Brutus says, no, you idiot. Look what he just did with that tree. Indeed. Except, um, yeah. now we, mentioned, we mentioned he's 12 cubits. Mm. Do we know how long a cubit is? A cubit was actually a historical measurement. Um, will you accept, like, uh, if if we get close enough to what is... In, in today's in today's money, in metric. Yeah, if, if you wanna, uh, do, you wanna, do you want metric or do you want feet? Well, I'm going to say a cube... A, you've asked that question for a reason. So well, it's because I've written it down in feet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's say that. Okay. And, and how how tall is he meant to be? He's a giant. No, but what, that, that's oh, the, he, uh, he is twelve cubits. He's twelve cubits. What does that mean in uh, in in feet? Feet does, inches. Does it mean twelve feet? It does not I mean twelve say, feet. No, I was going to say definitely over like twenty, twenty-five. Let's say. Okay, twenty-five and twelve. And we are we going for who's ever whoever's closest? <laughs> what do we want to do? Well, I, no, I know because I'm in the lead at the minute. And no, I'm not, am I? No. Uh, yeah, go for it. Why not? All right. Very well, uh, it's eighteen uh, feet. So Alex is actually oh. closest. <laughs> <laughs> um, Normal so service, ladies and gentlemen, has been resumed. So a cubit is uh, is uh, from the middle finger to the elbow, and the the Roman measurement says that's eighteen inches. So twelve inches in a foot. He's eighteen foot. And uh, and yes, Corinius asks to wrestle this this giant. How do we think it goes? <laughs> doesn't giant, doesn't end well for him. The giant steps on him on him and says, "Who's next?" I mean, well, the giant breaks three of Corinius's ribs, um, which so enrages him that he picks up the giant, <laughs> carries him off to the cliffs, and throws him into the sea. <laughs> it's a bit like it's a, it's what a bit the like f- happening here. <laughs> the, the, the only thing I can liken that to is like you know, do you remember at uh, WrestleMania four when Hulk Hogan fought Andre the Giant? That's exactly what this is. That's like. exactly what it's like. Yeah. And like everyone's there and he's about to do the, like his famous body slam and he mm. can't lift him and then the crowd like Hulk, Hulk, Hulk and then he lifts him and slams him down, gets the yeah, pin. You don't want to get the Hulkster angry. No. <laughs> and um, you won't like him when he's angry. And uh Corinius uh, goes on to found Cornwall. Ah. That's where that comes from, according to Geoffrey of Monmouth, who was probably on mushrooms Hi. and making it all up. Um but there you go, that is the story of Gog Magog. I'm sorry. There was a story about a Trojan throwing a giant off a cliff, and people thought this was absolutely fine for yep. four hundred years. They thought this was absolutely <laughs> genuine. Um, Geoffrey of Monmouth was considered to to have been, you know, almost sacrosanct. He was the, the official historian of what went on in the Dark Ages. Everyone thought this made absolutely perfect sense. Like, yeah, I, I, I want, quite frankly, I want a better mark on my history dissertation. <laughs> and it is a fabulous this. book if you haven't read it, um, because it, it's hilarious. Some of the stuff that comes out in this book is is utterly bonkers. And the thing is that he always lends it a sort of a, a ring of truth because there are certain names that pop up that we know did exist. Yeah. So clearly he was getting his sources from somewhere. Geoffrey of Monmouth was an educator. Ooh, he could read and write, mm. for starters. Um, but um, but yeah, when it comes to the idea of, uh, of Brutus, the Trojan founding <laughs> yeah. what we consider to be Britain... Um, he was having a laugh, really, wasn't do you think, he? Do you think like he'd make a good press secretary? Is this like the the original alternative <laughs> facts? It, yeah, he's he's the New York Times. This is the <laughs> Jeffrey of fake news. Yeah, make make Britain great again. That was, that was <laughs> this close to satire, there, guys. We were we were almost there. Well, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? To uh, to to more recent times. In fact, we've got a story from the twentieth century now. Mm-hmm. 
Story number two, The Crossing of Death. Uh, this is a story from Connington. Do we know where that is? Yes. Where is Connington? It's near Cambridge. Okay, other Connington. There's two. Because there is a Connington as well that is uh, that's quite near Bar Hill. Yes. Uh, this isn't the one that I mean, though. It, it, there's actually one up near Peterborough. Okay. Is there? Yeah. Uh, it's only got one. It's got. It's, oh, it's the one end, two end thing. Yeah, there's two ends. Mm. Connington. Well, there's there's two ends technically in, in both of them, but it's three ends, one end because two ends are I'm together. Desperately wondering if I've spelled that wrong somewhere. Yeah. yeah so uh, Connington Level Crossing. This is about, um, and it is re reputed to be from several sources. I had to double check and, and triple check this. Reputed to be the most haunted level crossing in England. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, because the one by the home fen, I swear to God, it can see me coming and the barriers go down every well, single time. These are all now automated. So this is back in the day when the crossings weren't automated. They used to be actually manually controlled. Yeah. Um, and uh, and this is a crossing that is, I mean, it's in a desolate place, actually, because you, you, it's just off the, um, off the A1 and you're going straight into Fenlands and there is nothing apart from a sort of a strip of road and then desolate fen on either side. Which is, is it, is it sort of heading heading east towards March and England? Yeah, that's exactly where it is. Is that yeah. line, not, yeah, the, yeah. not the London one? No, it's the, it's, the, it's the line that sort of connects to, to I want to say, Mania, but it's not going to be that, is it? Mania. Mania. Yeah. I knew it was going to be that. that. It goes through Whittlesea, Mania, March, that line. It is that line. It's the one that goes off through through Mania and then, okay. and then sort of swings down into Little Port and Ely, another location that Adam couldn't necessarily yeah. get <laughs> last time. So Connington North, which is uh, it's just south of uh, of home, yeah. and uh, and this is the most haunted level crossing in the country, <laughs> which is quite a claim. Actually, I, I've, I, actually, it might not be quite a claim. I have no idea how many <laughs> level crossings are supposedly haunted. Most and only, possibly. Indeed, um, is this is, no chance? It's like a crossroad thing because there's a lot of hauntings at crossroads. I mean, they used to hang do, people. Do at you mean, do you mean like ley lines? What ley lines? No. no, he's, uh, he's so in cross in olden times, uh, people were hang hanged at crossroads. So, for example, Ca Caxton Gibbet would be the famous yeah, example yeah, around yeah, yeah. here. Um, and certainly, um, it was considered unconsecrated ground. So, suicides or um, yeah. or things like that would be, um, you know, anyone that they didn't want to bury in the churchyard would often be buried at a crossroad. They're always haunted. It's not a good thing to be hmm. um, buried at a crossroad. But I'm going to give you uh, three options Sorry. because none of these are, f are featuring crossroads. I don't know if it was originally a crossroad. It might have been actually. Um, but your options are the following: Is Connington Level Crossing haunted by the ghost of a 19th-century passenger train that derailed nearby? The ghost of a colonel, his dog, and six Nazis? <laughs> or the ghost of a child who wants you to play on the railway lines? Oh, I've, I've just cut the questions first off. Can I? Um, yeah, go do your questions, no, no, and I'll sure. do mine. Uh, the the train is it? Does it travel along the tracks and derail, or does it? Is it just there derailed with you know? It's actually uh, so you actually see it derail, okay. and that actually freaks out people. Yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine. And the the colonel, a dog, and six Nazis. Colonel, dog, and six Nazis. Do they walk into a bar? I mean, what's the <laughs> like? No, uh, no. Uh, so uh, there there are ghostly screams that are heard, and a 1940s vehicle is seen at the crossing. Okay, because the 1940s weekend is at home. People realise this. They're not just pissed. Well, I, I wouldn't like to comment. How can you have a ghost of a train? That's not uncommon. No, yeah, I, I, no, because because I mean, if we're going to buy into the crypt, because this is a twentieth century um, tale, so if the reports are relatively recent, you'd have to think there must be some. Mind the you, it's a ghost story. We have isn't there it? are ghost stories that are uh, associated with trains. So, for example, famously, Charles Dickens wrote the story of the railway man. Um, and um, or the signalman or something like that. I think I think it might be called the signalman. Sorry, and uh, and that features uh, the ghostly warning light that a train is about to derail. 
and um, I won't spoil the story for you. It's a very short story. It's worth reading. It will it will creep you out because Charles Dickens is an outstanding writer. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, but that does feature a ghostly train. And I, I, I want to I want to go with what I and Ghostbusters too. It features yeah. a, a train, <laughs> a subway train. I think it's yeah. sort of derailed in front of them. Hmm. I want to go with the one that if it was me, would be the scariest, which is the child saying, "Come and play." That is that is a terrifying Ooh, thought, that isn't is, it? That, I mean, that, a that small that, child trying to yeah. encourage you to play on the railway lines. Yeah. Um, again, I'm going to stick away from the one I wanted to be, which is the Colonel, his dog, and six Nazis, because I want to hear the story. Mm-hmm. But I uh, know I'm going to say the train. The train seems seems plausible, seems logical. Okay. Well, um, the ghosts uh, of this particular level crossing ghosts. are. Uh, to start with, a truck carrying six German prisoners of war oh. in the uh, in the 1940s. The one time I don't go for the one I want it to be. <laughs> uh, so the truck was carrying. The, they were they were doing farm work, and uh, it was struck by lightning while it was going across the crossing, and then uh, or hit by a small engine. There's there's various versions of this story. Six German prisoners lost their lives in the accident, um, and later on in 1948, a Colonel Mellows was driving through the crossing accompanied by his Labrador um, when, I mean, he, when he was hit by well a... the Labrador, so I don't know no, why I'm he, was, he was hit by a powerful express train and uh, Mellows <laughs> and the dog were killed instantly, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, and the dog was actually buried next to the track. Oh. Yes. Um, Mello, Mellows obviously was, was buried properly. And uh, since then, um, there has been repeated paranormal activity reported at this level crossing. Um most of it um, involves voices, sometimes yelling, sometimes crying in pain. Um, a phantom car has been seen to pass through the crossing, uh, looking like it came out of the 1940s, disappearing into thin air. And this is actually from eyewitness reports. So as I said, the crossing used to be manned. Yeah. And, uh, and people would avoid the crossing at night, and people didn't want this duty because they, they regularly saw these strange events. Occurring. Oh, imagine the next time, the Adam, because you do a lot of work around the area. I, I've the been... next time you're driving at night yeah. and you see the lights go, and you see the lights go on, <laughs> and you know you got to pull up, then you're like, "Is this the one?" I, do you know what? I think I've been through that level crossing because I got lost looking for Connington Airfield once. They do uh, shows up there, and um, I'm pretty sure this is. If it wasn't that one, it was the one on the other side. But there's quite a few little crossings around there. There are. So yeah, I'm. I'm. It wasn't at night, and, and, and I didn't there, see anything. But, and yeah. there are reports of the crossing gates opening and closing as if someone is operating them, um, and obviously no yeah. one is. Yeah. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, it is now a remote crossing, um, so it is remotely controlled. Mm. The, the gates go up and uh, up and down. Uh, and always make sure that you do follow the highway code. Absolutely. Just yes, want to yeah. point that one out. Yeah. Um, Ghosts are not accepted as excuses on the insurance claim forms. They yeah. are not. Mm. Um, but apparently they are accepted if you live in a council house and you want to move house. Really? Apparently so. What, paranormal sightings? No, I've, I've, I was reading a, uh, a piece uh, this morning about people that had put, um, uh, who were living in council houses and had put in request to move um, due to their house being haunted. And they've actually yeah have gone on to move. There's some really famous cases about it. I think um, I'm pretty sure the either the Enfield haunting or the the um, the Pontefract haunting they managed to move house because of uh, it being haunted. How interesting! I don't know much about it. Actually, it's one thing that we might want to do is is get some local ghost hunters in. We do actually know some, and uh, and it would be it would be great to actually get some sort of experts to talk about uh, paranormal activity because it's not really an area I'm very familiar with. I'm more familiar with the history and the myths. Um, but I was conscious that we haven't really spoken at all about ghosts and paranormal stuff on the show, and there is—I mean, we've done spectral nights and the old thing, but uh, but nothing too sort of in depth. 
and um, and this is it the, the most haunted level crossing in the country right on our doorsteps so I thought why not uh, why not explore it a little bit so there you go if you are driving down uh, down Connington and that is Connington in North Cambridgeshire not Connington in <laughs> South Cambridgeshire um, there are two of them um, don't don't go on the level crossing at night is that is that the Seems moral of the story oh I mean, oh, I mean it, it, it might it might be the way the journey takes them I would say you're, you're probably safe yeah. yeah yeah chances are unless you're heading to a very remote farm in the middle of the night you'd be okay. unless you're listening to this in the car now and you've been diverted off of the A1 because there's roadworks don't because I drove back <laughs> after the Black Shuck episode and I swear to God I was there going fucking dog comes anywhere near me you know? like, I was tell you what, uh, well, I was cycling past Long Stanton where the Black Shuck has been seen yeah and suddenly this giant black dog emerged silently <laughs> a full 20-30 metres ahead of me and th- there was a moment where my heart sort of paused for a minute you know you, that sort of horrible sickening yeah. feeling um, until the owner rushed back and was shouting his name <laughs> trying to get this dog back um, for a second was you like oh no what have I started I was like oh things I wish I hadn't read but there we go yeah. the Connington level crossing known occasionally as the crossing of death story number three let's rock now, as always, we like to do uh, something a little bit fun in the final segment. Um, a good story that's uh, that's a local custom or tradition or something that we actually know happened, something mm. that is very, very tangible. And uh, this one has um, has several thousand witnesses. It's a very positive thing. It's an upbeat thing. Um, do we know anything about the music of the Fenlands? Uh, well, it depends. I know about the old music scene. We used to do quite well. Uh, Peterborough and Ramsey, actually. Ramsey had a gaiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that attracted people like Lulu um, came down there and things like this. So we, we we used to do quite well off kind of the pop music scene, but I don't know yep. anything about Fenland music. Well, per uh, se. apart from the the no, I'm not. There's a, there, there is a very long tradition of music in the Fens, uh, especially in the 20th century. So uh, Ralph Vaughan Williams uh, did the classical piece uh, in the Fen country, which is really gorgeous actually, and, and well worth a listen to if you like classical music. Um, because it was terrific stuff, and mm. uh, and that it almost got forgotten about. Actually, it was rediscovered in the 1960s. Um, but uh, there is a closer connection to music in the Fens because the Fens hosted the UK's first ever rock festival. I thought you were going to say something like that. Yeah. Do we know where it was? Oh. And it's not somewhere that you're going to guess. So I will <laughs> give you a few options. Okay. Can I give us some options? Yeah. Was the first rock festival held in Chatteris? Was it held in Spalding? Or was it held in March? God. When can I can I ask when it was? Is uh, that... Yes, you absolutely can. It was it was called the Barbecue Sixty Seven Concert. Nice. And it was on May 29th, nineteen sixty seven. Good good name. March. You think that was the you think barbecue in March? Okay. I had I for some reason when you said Chatteris, my head went, ooh. Um, but we've been wrong on everything so far. So let's see if at least one of us is right. Let's say let's say Chatteris on a on a okay. punt. No, it was Spalding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was it was yeah. <laughs> it was held at the Tulip Bulb Auction Hall in uh, in Spalding, um, and it offered non-stop dancing from 4 p.m. till 12 a.m. A licensed bar uh, and revelers were promised hot dogs, covered accommodation, and ultraviolet lighting. <laughs> Uh, and, and you could have a swinging not a knockout atmosphere. This is from the flyer, all for the admission price of. Do you want to have a guess how much it was? A penny. I was going to say threepence. It was a one pound. Wow. Yeah, I know. Really, really kicking the boat out. Yeah. Um, what is that in today's money? It's 
probably about twenty quid. I would imagine it's it's, it's not too too outrageous. But uh, yeah, seventies. There we go. Yeah, it's only only forty odd years ago. I said it used to be like fifty. Well, I say 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 forty odd years ago. It is literally fifty years ago. I've no idea why I said (laughs) forty. Fifty is forty odd. So (laughs) May twenty ninth, literally two days ago, uh, in nineteen sixty seven, which is literally fifty years ago, and I couldn't even get that date right. So so two days ago was the fiftieth anniversary. Two days ago was the fiftieth anniversary of this uh, particular event. And actually, it's uh, it's something we can probably do um, on on the radio show that we do on, on on every Sunday, County Matters. Uh, bringing you all the information in Huntingdonshire uh, on HGL. All the important stuff, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except, um, of course, this goes out just after we record that show. It does. It, it, it does. <laughs> Never mind. But we did have a great show, so well done, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, what, everyone was what, what an episode. Yeah. <laughs> we had, we had 35,000 calls, <laughs> texts and emails. We've oh, never done better. Let, let's, let's, not, let's not push the boat. So, uh, May 29th, 1967, the Barbecue 67 concert at the Tulip Bob Hall uh, auction hall in, uh, in Spalding. And uh, several stars stayed at the Red Lion Inn. Oh, in St. Ives. No, uh, no, no, in, Sp- in Spalding. I was going to say. There it is. There's one. Now, Adam has powers to edit this. Uh, yeah. But he's not editing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I do apologise. I just, I know a Red Lion Inn. <laughs> you do. I, so, I was so ready to And we actually have the lineup as well. Oh, okay. Um, so there are some, There, there is actually... I mean, we talk about rock stars. We talk, we're talk. we talking superstar status on this particular <laughs> okay. The first rock concert in, in the UK. I'm going to give you three options. I'm, go, I'm, I'm trying to give you guys... <laughs> Just give it out to us at the minute. Wink. Wink me, on one of them. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, it is one of the three. And now, I'm going to rule out the Beatles, because as I'm sure you know, it's 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Yeah. This happened at exactly the same time. It was almost a little bit of counter-programming. If you weren't into Sgt. Pepper's, you had some live music. So here are your options. Which of the following actually performed at the conf- con- at the um, at the uh, the concert? Was it the Jimi Hendrix Experience? Uh-huh. Was it Elvis Presley? Or was it the Rolling Stones? Hendrix. I'm yeah, plumping straight for Hendrix. Stones. Why didn't you go for Elvis? I'm, cur- I'm curious why why you both didn't go for I mean, Elvis. Yeah, big big rock and roll. Don't I mean, know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm, a lot of my family were big fans of Elvis Presley. I think mm. if he'd have played as close as Spalding, I used to live with a guy who's got like a shrine in his house to Elvis Presley. Uh, I would have found out at some point by now. Spalding that Elvis, would have been hallowed ground. Yeah, that Elvis had played Spalding. Do we do we know if Elvis ever ever actually visited the UK? Never, never mind it, playing a concert I know in there. That Hendrix did. He's played several concerts in the UK. Hend- uh, well, Hendrix lived yeah. in London. Oh, well, there we go then. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Hendrix because yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, you know, he, d- he definitely came here. So yeah, uh, but I don't know about uh, Elvis Presley. What's wrong with so, you tonight? Sorry. So Elvis Presley never played a concert in uh, in the UK. Okay. Um, he only, in fact, touched down in the UK once. That was briefly at Glasgow Airport. Oh, well, that would put you off. Um, and that was when he was coming back from his military oh. service. Other than that, Elvis never visited the UK. Except... Yeah, except no. <laughs> except for parachuting in for except for the one time he actually found himself in Spalding. <laughs> Glasgow El- 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 Elvis, Elvis Presley, I can safely say, it never went to Spalding. Yeah. Uh, Jimi Hendrix certainly did, however, yes. because he was the headliner at the Barbecue Woo. '67 concert. Jimi Hendrix, Cream featuring Eric Clapton and Pink Floyd wow. were, your he- were your headliners in Spalding. And uh, Jimi Hendrix actually got up to a little bit of mischief in the Red Lion Inn. Um, he was leaning out of his balcony uh, talking to girls 
uh, as you do, and then he popped back inside his window. No one knew where he, where he was going. He came back, having tied his bed sheets together, <laughs> and dangled them out of the window, trying to ask girls to climb up to him. You can do that if you're a rock star. You that's probably, a... Yeah, you probably can get away with that for Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, you? absolutely. So there you go. Uh, the connection between Spalding and Woodstock is strong because they, one of the greatest guitarists of guitarists of, because one of the greatest guitarists of all time, if not the greatest guitarist of all mm. time, has played both venues. Uh, can you imagine that? I mean, I think a lot of people probably don't even know that um, that Spalding ever had a. You know, a festival <laughs> level. Never mind that level of. I don't want to do Spalding. Yeah, it's it, a nice place, but I don't think many people have ever heard of Spalding outside of you know here. It's it's amazing. Well, if you thought about that, if the same sort of thing happened today, well, that would be like, you know, Katy Perry Katie, playing Hull. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or or like Justin Bieber playing Ramsey. Well, like, like I that. say, you know, Lulu did in the day with. Small towns, this kind of happened. If you had a music venue, everybody would bus in from elsewhere yeah, and do it. And that was a big thing. People would actually go around in buses and yeah. they would tour. I mean, that was an actual thing. And uh, and certainly uh, that was what the Beatles did in, the Mer- in America. They went around touring it. One of their rules was that they wouldn't play to segregated audiences, um, which was a, a really sort of a big thing for civil rights yeah. uh, at the time. Um, but uh, they grew tired of touring and started making album music. They started making Sgt. Peppers. As we mentioned, it's the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Peppers. And um, this show seeds rapidly to something else. It did. And while we were and while they were doing that, uh, Jimi Hendrix was rocking out in the red line in Spalding. <laughs> <laughs> Not in St Ives, as I've discovered. <laughs> Not in St Ives, as you've discovered. I have no idea if Jimmy Jimi Hendrix ever visited St Ives. If you do know, please let us. Uh, please tell us. Yeah. Uh, I would be fascinated to find out. Uh, but that is it for this week. We've had a little bit of, uh, of musical culture. We've had a little, a little bit of ghosts, yeah. and we've had a little bit of uh, our usual uh, dose of myths and mythology. So, if you're enjoying this, the uh, Fencast, please do give us a, uh, a like on uh, on Facebook or. Uh, Subscribe and and uh, enjoy things on on iTunes. Alex, how can they get in touch with us if they wish to do so? They can get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. They can also email thefencast at gmail.com. So there you have it. And if you have any stories that you would like us to look into or stories that you can expand upon, please don't hesitate to let us know. We will see you next time. From Alex, Adam and myself, Kit Chapman, this has been The Fencast. <laughs> <laughs>